Good morning, Victory City family. So grateful to join back in you with the Word of God this week. Especially grateful that we have been able to get through 13 chapters now of Acts, and we've had a tremendous time doing it. We're now coming to the 14th chapter of Acts, and I think what we're going to learn today, more importantly about the effect of the gospel, is the gospel's ability to separate, to divide, to tear apart, and the impact that the gospel has, not on just our lives, but communities as a whole, cities as a whole. I think one of the most underrated components of the gospel is that that is made incredibly clear, clear in scripture is the, the dividing effect that the gospel, the word of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ that it has on our relationships in humanity. In fact, I would go as far to say that nothing has been more, has separated people more, has divided people more, has exiled people more, and even had people killed more than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Families who have had this truth, members of that family who have shared that truth, have been disjointed, sometimes even permanently, for what we learn about the revelation of Jesus. Now, you may hear this and think this sounds a little discouraging. The fact is that if you are a Christian, if your relationship with those other members of the family of faith have not been deepened and your relationship with people who reject this truth have not been disjointed and disrupted, then perhaps the gospel is not saturating your life the way we've been called to be saturated and washed in the word. This may be an uncomfortable truth, but this is the reality of what happens all throughout the word of God. This is even what we see happens very clearly with Jesus. The gospel is far provocative when told truthfully and unadulteratedly for those who hear it to just reject it without feeling the need to reject us as well. We're going to look back at Acts chapter 14 today, but it's really going to serve as the platform for all that we discuss in today's sermon about how the gospel disrupts our lives and relationships and why we need to be okay with that. We're jumping in Acts 14 and 1. It says, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made, by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derb, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, we see very clearly this trend, and we've seen it all throughout the gospel, and it is the same here, right? Paul and Barnabas are entering another area, a new area, and as they enter a new area, they go directly to the synagogue. When they get to the synagogue, they continue presenting the gospel. And again, as they are presenting that gospel, they are placed at odds with a number of Jews and unbelievers in the area. That's typical, but there is something that is happening here that Luke shows us is quite different than we've seen from every presentation of the gospel that's happened before. So from what we've seen, the gospel is being preached 
and shared in the synagogue. And while there is a certain amount of opposition, Luke usually concludes with the people believed and they rejoiced or they believed the gospel and they were saved. Something like that. He gives us a very positive ending to let us know the impact the gospel had on the individuals. But this time he mentions something different, right? He says that when they shared the faith, when they shared the gospel, instead of him ending with they rejoice, he actually says that the entire city was basically split in half. You had the people who believed and received the truth of the gospel that Paul and Barnabas were preaching. They were on one side. But then on the other side, you have the Jews and the other people that the Jews were right as well on the other side. And what the gospel has done in this city is completely separated the city. He has completely disrupted the city by preaching the truth of the gospel. This is something that we're seeing really for the first time. We've seen the apostles and people like Stephen be attacked and persecuted and killed for the gospel. But as the gospel's impact is growing, we are seeing that whole cities are being divided for what they know about the gospel. Now, when it says that they were divided, that's, again, another time that our English translation is not as good as what is actually saying here in the Greek. But it's saying there is a sharp schism that is happening in this city because of the gospel. That is the word that Luke uses. There is a deep rift caused between the Jews in that city and the people with them and then the people who sided with Barnabas and Paul. I do think that analyze this because Luke sees this as important for us to know. Let me explain this. If you want to convince me that your story is true, the last thing that you want to do is tell me that the gospel, the thing you're trying to present to me is is dividing people. It's separating people. If you're just making this whole gospel thing up, then I would leave the part out when it says that the whole city was divided because of the gospel. The only thing I would include is everybody heard the gospel and they believed and there was all this harmony and all this peace and all this happiness and everybody's rejoicing because they hear the gospel. But that's not quite what happens here, is it? It says that because of the impact of the gospel, Luke says that the city has a sharp chasm that is created because some people believe and some people reject it. That's exactly what happens. And the reason why Luke mentions this is because it seems that he realizes that the gospel for those who do not believe is quite contentious. It is divisive. It is exclusive. He also knew that this was the impact the gospel would have as Jesus has warned us that it would have. See, one big problem that has occurred is that we have lost perspective of who Jesus is and what his life, death, burial and resurrection meant to this world. He has been so soft-pedaled and beautified that he looks more acceptable to all people. But the truth is that he was filthied, he was beaten, he was battered so that we could look acceptable to God. Look at the words of Jesus here in Matthew 10 34. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, people see this text and immediately for them, if it doesn't, it should. It raises red flags that they honestly feel differently towards Jesus now. I mean, based on the picture that has been painted of him, this doesn't sound like the sweet, doe-eyed Jesus with the rosy cheeks that are often presented. In fact, this seems borderline psychotic. Jesus seems borderline egotistical, and for sure, him saying this sounds a bit scary. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus says that he is not bringing peace, but he has come to bring a sword, and he is saying that because for the believer, yeah, the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done is a source of peace. It is the only source of peace. But for those of us who do not believe in the truth of the gospel, it brings us conviction. And the reality is it ultimately will bring us condemnation because our rejection of the truth of the gospel will leave us condemned for all eternity to be separated from God. Because Jesus more than anyone knows the word of God and the truth of God, that he knows that it has his impact, that it separates men and women from their own desires. But it also separates men and women from those who they bonded with over those same desires and each other as well. See, the God, if the gospel is not invading, disrupting and separating us in our lives, then the question is, is the gospel present at all? The sanctifying work that the gospel has that we forget about is to be sanctified also means to be set apart. The more we are conformed into the image of Christ, the more set apart we become, the more set apart from the people we use to bond and be bound together with over our sins. The more we become like Jesus Christ, the less we become like those people. And he sanctifies us. He disrupts us. He sets us apart. He cuts us. He divides us. He pulls us away from people we otherwise would be much more comfortable with. Look at what Hebrews chapter four says. 4 and 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This scripture will hopefully bring us all help bring us all together here on this point. The mistake that we make is that we distinguish the work of Jesus from the words of Jesus. Now, I'm going to make this make sense in just a second to say I want the benefits of a relationship with Jesus without the slicing conviction of the word of God is essentially to blaspheme against the nature of who Jesus is. The I love God people, but I don't need to do what God has instructed me to do. That is blasphemy before the eyes of Christ because it is denying the very death of Jesus Christ. Of course, Most of us don't actually say this with our lips. Most of us say this with our lives. I want to have a relationship, but mainly the benefits of a relationship with Jesus, save 
what Jesus actually requires of me after having a relationship with him. That's how most of us want to live our lives. But the issue is, is that if you are denying what has been outlined to us as believers in the word of God, the standard of living, then you are actually denying the salvation of Jesus Christ in the first place. Let me explain why. Because you cannot divorce Jesus and his salvation from the word of God. You cannot be saved and deny the writings that have been given to us that we have been told come from the very mouth of God. That Jesus is not just the epitome of the word. He is the definition of the word. He is the word come to life. He is the word of God made flesh. You cannot deny that word and say that you have a relationship with him. Because the Bible says that he is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the father. If you are saying that I have a relationship with God and not a relationship with his word, then you are missing that God is cutting, piercing and dividing Jesus himself so that we could be united in relationship with him. See, that's what we don't understand. And that's what Jesus is contending. A relationship with him would not only trump all of the relationships you have with other people, but if those relationships do not glorify God, then Jesus says that the truth should actually destroy those relationships. When what Jesus says here was so controversial and contentious that even his own family is standing outside the house where he's sharing this truth and they're groping at the house trying to get into him. Mary is there because they think that he has gone insane. They think that Jesus has lost his mind because he's saying you have to love me more than you love your father. You have to hate your father and your mother. And so they hear this and they think this man has gone crazy. Even John the Baptist, who's actually in prison about to be beheaded sends his disciples after hearing this he sends them back with a letter saying are you really the one are you really the messiah because even john the baptist doesn't understand that the truth of the revelation of jesus christ means that everything that we were before jesus comes must be destroyed it must be dismantled because of the relationship we have with him what we have to realize is that Jesus is not just an accessory to all of our other spirituality. Jesus is not just an accessory to our crystals. He's not just an accessory to us burning sage. He's not an accessory to that. You can't have Jesus and all that other stuff. That's the thing that we have to understand about the Christian, the Christian religion. Every other religion says, oh, there are multiple ways and you can have a little bit of this religion, have a little bit of that religion and not be totally sold out to ours. We're just one path. Jesus says, uh-uh, ain't no many paths. I am the only way and you can't have me in any other path. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth and I'm the only life. And by the way, you can only get to the father if you go through me. Nobody wants to hear that because that's saying that I can't decide my different path to God. I must go through this singular path. And most of us reject that idea. Jeremiah 23 and 29 says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. There are many ways that the word of God is described, but I think my favorite will always be fire, hammer, and sword. These metaphors are used in order for us to see that the word of God, though comfort and freedom to the believer, is conviction to those who deny it. 
It is not just conviction, however, it overtakes them. We see here that the hammer of the word, that the sword of the word was so powerful that it, is, it divided an entire city. It tore it apart. And I can't help but wonder what's happened. Certainly the word is just as strong and effective as it has always been. So why are we not seeing the sheer power of the word today? I think it's because too many Christians are compromising on things that have been pillars. It's because the body is being torn apart as opposed to the body itself coming in and tearing apart cities and tearing apart the very beliefs that this world has been built on. And it's crazy how we normalize right now complacency in the church, but we demonize outspokenness. There are little infringe. There aren't any little infringement on our beliefs. They are all seeking to destroy our faith and our silence is only making that destruction more feasible. The world has redefined marriage. The world has redefined gender, sexuality, race, culture, and even life. And too many of us have just sat and twiddled our thumbs thinking that our impact will be in our ballot. Where are the reformers? Where are the Martin Luthers? Where are the people who will see the hypocrisy of religion and call it out? Where are the Jonathan Edwards who will stand before a congregation of people who hated God and say sinners in the hands of an angry God? Who would declare the truth knowing that I could lose my life, but I will not lose it if I declare this truth of eternity before God. So many people falsely claim to be prophets, but where are those who are willing to proclaim the truth of a prophet like Stephen, who is being stoned? And as he's being stoned, he sees Jesus appear, welcome him into eternity as he breathes his last. Where are the people who don't just want all the gifts and the talent and the notoriety and the acclaim and the fame, but the people who want to make the name of Jesus well known, who want Jesus to have a bigger mark on the city than themselves? Where are those people? Where are the people who want to see a city built on lies, who want to see a city, a country built on sin, absolutely be disrupted and divided because of the gospel? Sometimes I notice that when I speak about the offensiveness of the gospel, that uh, because people don't quite understand it, they look a little crazy. It's like, what's offensive about the gospel? It's, it should be joy to those of us who believe, but to those of us who reject it, it's not freedom. It's a prison. Because you ultimately realize that if the gospel is true, that you have no hope apart from it. And that this life of freedom that you thought you were meant to live, independent of any other influence, is all now defined by whether or not you have a relationship with the God of the universe. Yeah, people hear that and they reject it. This, con this gospel contradicts everything that we would rather believe is true about ourselves. Listen, we would like to be told that we were wise on our own, but the gospel says that our wisdom is what leads us to become fools. We would like to think that we are beautiful, but the gospel says that apart from Jesus, we are hideous, broken sinners. We would like to think that we have this amazing worth that Jesus died for, but the truth of the gospel says that our lives have no worth unless Jesus has died for our sins. The gospel says that unless we come to Christ, 
all of the meaning in this world that we have is rubbish. That's what the gospel says. Any justification we have in ourselves will ultimately be our condemnation. That's a tough pill to swallow. But the same thing that condemns the lost is what frees those who believe. And it is this. I am nothing without Jesus. And of course, if that truth is proclaimed, then it will transform lives, cities, countries, and the world. That is what our faith is all about. So my challenge to you, as you watch this today, is the gospel not only having an impact on the people around you, but is the gospel having its impact on you? Is the gospel forcing you to see yourself in a light that you've never seen? Forcing you to end things that you need to end. Forcing you to separate your thing, yourself from things that you need to separate from. Forcing you to divorce your thing, yourself from all of the desires that you've had apart from Jesus Christ. If the gospel has done nothing but save you from hell, but not transformed your life, has it done anything at all? Listen, we are at a critical juncture in our history. Now you think, no, I'm not saying, oh, these are the last days, these are the end times. They are. They've always been. I don't know the, I don't know how much closer we are than we were last week. I don't know. But the reality is, is that every one of us, our lives hinges on the God of the universe allowing us to breathe, allowing our hearts to beat, allowing all of our faculties to perform the way they perform. And at any given moment, as we've seen just so clearly in the last year, that's taken away. And inevitably, whenever we stand before Jesus, we will either say, my account has been paid, or I will have to give a testament for the reason I rejected the payment that could have been made on my behalf. And I don't know when that moment is going to be. I don't know when it is for me. I don't know when it is for you. But the reality is, is that day is coming for all of us. Where do we stand? Has the gospel disrupted your life? Has the, has the gospel made you uncomfortable with things that you used to like, used to be comfortable with? That's the key. I want to say a quick prayer for us today, but I really want us to think both internally about this, but I also want us to think externally about what the gospel is doing for our lives. Lord, we thank you first for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that you have given us the out that we need to be saved from our sins, to be saved from the penalty of our sins. But God, we also realize that the evidence of that salvation is in a life devoted to you, a life that is producing fruit devoted to you, a life that is sharing the truth that is sanctifying us and having an impact on the people around us. God, if that's not happening in our lives, but we are legitimately Christians, we, we would ask you, God, first reveal, us to, uh, reveal to us our flaws, our faults, the things that are separating us from you, the things that are divorcing us from a relationship with you, and that you will reestablish our path and reignite us. But God, if we are fooling ourselves into thinking that we're something we're not, we would also pray that you would reveal that to us, God. 
Please do not let us be deceived into thinking that we're something we're not because of what we want to be. God, let us look to you, your truth. Let us judge our lives based on that revelation. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my prayer is that this gospel that shreds, that tears, that dismantles, that disrupts, in some kind of way you can look and say, you know what? That's what has this. I've made choices in my life that though have made me financially uncomfortable or even comfortable, uncomfortable in my career or whatever the case may be. I've made decisions in my life that were devoted to the truth of the gospel, not just for my own personal pleasure. That would be my prayer. If you're watching this, you say, I have not made that decision in my life. I have not rendered my life to him. He has not invaded my life. I would love to introduce you to that Jesus, the Jesus that invades, the Jesus that takes over. He's a remarkable, remarkable man. And you will never regret for having a relationship with him. If you want to know more about the truth of the gospel, please let us know. Email us at info at city.org. If you're listening today, you say, I would love to have more uh, conversation about this. We have a tremendous Bible study on tomorrow at 7, Monday Manor. We do that every week um, on Mondays at, at 7 on Zoom and on Facebook Live. If you want to be a part of that conversation, please join with us in that as well. If you want to be on that email list, please email us at info at ourvictorycity.org as well. Now, as is always, it's time for the transition. You see all the ways to give. You can give through our cash app. give through our text to give. You can also give by going to ourvictorycity.org, clicking the donate button, and giving that way. Thank you so much. Exciting news. Remember, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are looking at June 6th to return in person. It will be a 1.30 p.m. service, so it gives you enough time to get all your sleeping out the way, everything you need to do, and get to church on time. We desperately need fellowship. And so in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about the importance of fellowship leading up to our re-emerging in our service on June 6th. So as always, go in peace.